Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Welcome as we continue the study of Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchais Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, Pedic Achad Osar, chapter 11. And here he continues to enumerate and to go through the details which we began enumerating, which we enumerated in chapter 7, the 39 labors of Shabbos, and this is labor number 29, where he said earlier, Vehashchita, and slaughtering, ritual slaughtering. So now he says in Aleph 1, Hashchit, someone who slaughters an animal, Chayov is liable because he violated a major labor of Shabbos. This does not only apply to one who ritually slaughters. Ela, however, kol Anyone who takes the life of any living beast, an animal, a bird, a fish, or a crawling animal, Bain Bishkita, whether he does this by slaughtering, a benechira or stabbing, a bahaka or hitting it over the head. Chayav, he is liable. Doesn't matter how one kills, killing an animal or a living being is forbidden on Shabbos. And this is included in Shita, in the labor of ritual slaughter. If a person strangles a living creature until it dies, this is a derivative. We know that there are primary labors and derivative labors. This is a tulda, a derivative labor of shechita, of slaughtering. Therefore, as a result, if somebody removed a fish from a fish bowl where it was being kept and put it on dry surface until it died, he's liable for strangling it because even though he didn't really harm the fish, but taking a fish out of water is tantamount to strangling it. Furthermore, this, in the case of a fish, does not only have to be until it dies. As long as the body of the fish dries for an amount on the body as large as the coin, called sela, about 2.6 to 3.2 centimeters in diameter. So if there's a cella of space dried on the body of the fish between the fins, between the fins, Chayov, he's liable. Why? He didn't kill the fish. Fish is still alive. Because once you do that to a fish, it's going to die very soon. So as far as you're concerned, you've already killed it. So these are all outgrowths and derivatives of shechita, of hashochet. Again, as enumerated earlier, labor number 29. Now he goes on to say at the end of one, 
Heshit habehema a person who inserts his hand into the womb of an animal and removes the fetus from the womb, which is a form of killing. Chayov, he is liable, but the notes here say he's not liable so much for killing as he is for reaping, because it's like you reap produce, and this would be more under that liability than killing, and the reaping is labor number three, is haktsiro, so this would be an outgrowth of reaping, although it is a form of taking a life, but it's the life of a fetus, so it's not the actual killing we talked about earlier. And of course, this is very complex, and there's a lot to talk about. Base. Any insects, worms, which are conceived through male-female relations, a nevin min ha'ofar, or that come from the dust, like fleas, kemeaparation, like fleas, some anyone who kills them, chayav is liable, kehedig behema bechaya, like he kills an animal or a beast because he kills any one of these insects or worms, it's a life as well. Avil but, rimosim shehaviyosan minaglolim uminapeda shivishu okayetzebahem, the Rambam says here in contrast, Insects and worms that come into being from dung, rotten fruit, and the like, stuff that forms on its own. Kigain, for example, toiloim shabosar. You leave a, meat, a piece of meat to rot, it will form worms. Toiloim or in legumes. Hahergan, anyone who kills those. Potter is exempt. And there's a lot of discussion here. Let me share a note in the Moiznayim Rambam. He says here, in view of the experiments of Pasteur, who did experiments and talked about this whole issue, and uh, I actually looked it up on the internet, it's very interesting, where he claims that there is no such thing as stuff coming on its own. There are many rabbis who maintain that this ruling should be disregarded, and we should refrain from killing any creatures on the Shabbos. However, contemporary Authorities with scientific backgrounds, such as the Lubavitcher Rebbe, published in the book, Emuna Umada maintain that our inability to observe spontaneous generation, which is what it's called, is not an absolute proof that such a phenomenon does not exist. Consequently, it's inappropriate for us to think of altering the halacha and again, a lot of discussion on this issue in the commentaries of the Rambam, especially the latter-day or nowadays commentaries. Gimel. Hamafala Kelev B'Shabbos. A person who checks his garments on Shabbos for lice. What does he do with the lice? Melel Esakinim B'Zorokon. He can rub off the lice and discard them. Furthermore, it's permissible to kill lice on Shabbos. Again, the same logic 
which was disputed earlier in the, in the notes, because they come into being from sweat, and the same discussion applies. Dalid chaya voremes shehein neishchinu memisim vaday dangerous living beings, beasts and insects whose bites are deadly. Kegain, for example, and here the Rambam brings some examples down of deadly beings. Zvuv shebim mitzrayim, flies in Egypt, they bit you and you died. Akrov shebechadiov. I'm sorry, Tsiro Shebeninve, I skip one. Tsiro Shebeninve, hornets in Ninve, Akrov Shebechadyov, scorpions in Adyabina, snakes, Nochosh, snakes, Sheberet Yisrael in Israel, and Kelev Shaita, dogs with rabies, Bechal Mokim all over. To cut to the chase, dangerous animals, dangerous insects, dangerous being. As soon as they appear, it's permissible to kill them because you're preventing them from killing people. But any other dangerous animals, it depends if they're dangerous at the moment. If they're running after him, obviously anybody who sees an animal or an insect or some type of threat to any human being, should kill that insect or animal as soon as possible. But if they're sitting still and contemplating their navels, hey, that was a joke. Hey, a bad joke, obviously. Or they're running away from him. The animal is running from the person. It's forbidden to kill them because the animal is running. However, if somebody steps, steps on them sort of accidentally while one is walking and kills them, it's permitted, not such a terrible thing, because it is a threatening being. Hey, five. Moving right along now. To labor number 30, vihahafshoto and skinning. Hamafshit air. If somebody skins a portion of an animal's hide, obviously if you skin the whole hide, then you've done a lot of skinning. But even if you do a little skinning, to get a piece of hide large enough to make an amulet, which is small, usually amulets are small. To make a cover for the amulet, the commentaries say, Chayov, he's culpable, he's liable. So that's like not a lot of skinning. And most of the categories, every one of the categories, we need a definition of how much. And this is, again, one of the 39 categories of forbidden labor. Moving right back now to the list. So we just did Hafshotah. And now we move to 31, processing hides. That's labor number 31. Working and processing. One who processes the hide. You can't just take leather and make something. You need to process it. 
Again, small enough just to make a cover for an amulet. He's liable. The Echad HaMeleach, processing could be in a form of salting, Echad HaMa'abed, or other type of methods of processing. There are all kinds of methods of processing. We learned the details of that earlier in the laws of Tfilin, where he talked about processing hide for Tfilin. For the boxes of Tfilin, the leather and so on. Shamalicha min ibudhu. Salting for the purpose of processing is a form of processing. Now he points out, there is no violation of processing when it comes to food. Putting salt on food would not be part of the category of salting something to process leather. Now, if you notice, labor number 32, removing the hair. You can't use the leather with the hair. You've got to remove the hair from the animal skin. If somebody removes the hair from a piece of leather, how big or how? what's the minimum? Large enough to make this amulet. Chayev is liable. What is the definition of mochik? One who removes hair. Or wool from this Leather skin, achar misa, after the death of the animal, achriachlik play hoer, until it becomes smooth. Smoothing the leather. Six, vav hamefarik, duchsustus mealaklav. Earlier in the laws of Shabbos, we learned that you can take a piece of animal skin and peel it apart where you have the top of the animal and the inside, the, the part closer to the flesh. So, one is called duchsustus, the inner skin is called duchsustus, and the thin upper side of the hide, where the hair grows, is called klaf. Tefillin, we learned earlier, should be written on klaf, while mezuzus can be written also on duchsustus. We pointed out earlier that nowadays it's all written on a new kind of processed klaf, which we talked about earlier in the laws of Tefillin. In any event, he's now separating this skin. This is a, an offshoot. This is a derivative of skinning. And he's culpable. Somebody who treads upon this hide with his feet until it becomes hard. Or somebody who softens it with his hands, stretching it, leveling it. As the leather workers do. Or This is a derivative of Ma'abid of this processing labor. And he's culpable. If somebody pulls a feather, from the wing of a bird, this is also a derivative of this labor of smoothing, because a feather is like hair. He's smoothing the skin of the bird. And he's liable. Now here comes an interesting thing, that anybody who smears any type of stuff, such as medicine, which is not urgent, a shava, a zephes, or somebody 
who smears beeswax or tar, or other entities, stuff that smears and becomes smooth, until it becomes smooth, it's possible that they violate this transgression of smoothing, even though they're doing so with this material, wax or, or tar, or, or any other material, which is why when we do this, we have to be careful how we do it, and there are ways to do it and ways not to do it. So also, someone who rubs a hide, which is suspended between, suspended between pillars, and he's rubbing it. As laborers do, this is also a part of smoothing, which is again one of the major liabilities of Shabbos. Now, we have the next violation, cutting, cutting the leather. Remember, this is all about processing leather in the, for the Mishkan. If somebody cuts a portion of hide large enough to make an amulet, Chayab is liable. If he cuts with intended measurements so long and so wide, and he's really focusing what he's doing. That it's a labor. He's just cutting because he's bored. Without measuring. He's just doing stuff. Fooling around. He's not liable. It's not permissible, but he's not liable. A person who trims the down from a wing of a fowl, he trims the wing. This is a derivative of cutting. And he's culpable. Or if somebody planes, planing is making smooth, a beam of cedar wood, it's another form of this cutting. Any form of cutting. It's a piece of wood, of wood, like a carpenter, or a piece of metal, from metal. This is all part of the transgression and violation of cutting. Another example, if somebody takes a small piece of wood, molds a toothpick, or he creates something to pry open a door, a lockpick, Chayav is culpable because he cut something down. Anything that can be eaten, even by an animal, Straw, soft grasses, palm branches, and the like. These can be eaten by animals. In that case, they can be trimmed on the Shabbos. Because you're not preparing a utensil, you're cutting food. It's permissible to break fragrant branches, to smell the aroma, the scent. I, 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 
we're not talking about cutting them from the ground. We're talking about cutting them into pieces. Even though they're hard. One can strip their bark as one desires. Whether it's a large branch or a small branch. Because you're doing it for the purpose of scent. Of smelling the aroma. Okay, moving right along. We come now to 34. The Haksiva writing in the Mishkan. They wrote on the boards. They would put A, A, B, B to line up the boards. Aleph, Aleph, Beis, Beis, and so on. So the Halacha is Hakasif, somebody who writes, Shteyesius, even two letters, Chayev is culpable, is liable. And that's the minimum writing, is two letters. Now, the next violation, number 35, is erasing. After writing comes erasing. Is erasing one of the labors? Of course it is. Provided that one erases in order to be able to write. If somebody erases for the purpose of writing two letters in his place, Chayev is culpable, he's liable. If somebody writes one large letter, as large as two letters, so you figured, hey, one large letter is as good as two, the answer is no. He's not liable. Again, it's not permissible, but he's not liable. But if he erased one large letter and there is enough place in its place to write two letters, Chayim, now he is liable. Give me that uh, copy there. What if he wrote one letter and with this letter he completed writing a book or a scroll? Chayev is liable, and as he says in the notes, he's not liable for writing, because for writing you need two letters, but he's liable for a different labor. And that is the labor of Makeb Patish, labor 27, that when somebody completes a task, he takes the hammer and he says, done. So writing the last word of a scroll is like taking the hammer and saying, done. Okay. If somebody writes for the sake of ruining the parchment, he's liable. Because it's not for the place, but it's the, the liability is not for the place, but it's for the writing. If somebody erases for the purpose of destroying, Potter is exempt. Destroying is not a violation of the Shabbos law, just like demolition, not for the sake of building, was not technically a violation unless demolition is for the sake of building. So what if ink spilled on the parchment, and he erased it. Wax fell on a writing tablet, and one is erasing it, removing it. There's enough place to write two letters. Chayab is culpable. What if he writes one letter twice? However, it produces a word that has meaning, and he gives a list of that, of those, Kimei Dad, 
case, gag, roar, sos, sos, hoch, chachoch. These are examples of two of the same letters, which have meaning, chayav is liable. And here comes an interesting question. In order to be liable and to violate the law of writing on Shabbos, does one have to write Hebrew letters in Hebrew language? What if he writes English in Hebrew letters? What if he writes Hebrew in English letters? What if he writes English in English letters? What if he writes Persian in Persian letters? Chinese! Any language that one writes, any letters, any language, any alphabet, I feel that Mishnah Simon is even two marks. If that is two letters in a language and it means something, he is culpable. Eleven. In order to understand eleven, I have taken from the Moznaim Rambam, that beautiful book called Moznaim Rambam, translated into English, and I've taken and, and placed some art, some diagrams, and uh, I, I believe that on the internet they will also make reference to these. 11, HaKesef Eis Achas Somach First getting into it, if somebody writes one letter next to something already written, or somebody takes writing and writes on it again, or somebody meant to write a ches. And here, you look at the diagram here, it shows in the ksav ashuris, in the writing of the Torah mezuzah tefillin script, that's a ches. A ches is really two zions connected with a roof. And that becomes a ches. So if somebody intends to write a ches, because of Shtei Zayin, and he wrote two Zions. By the way, two Zions mean something. Zaz. Or other letters. And he writes one letter on the earth and one letter on a beam, which are not read in a single unit. Or he wrote two letters and two pages of a writing tablet. All of these are not normal situations. They're not read as a single unit. All of the above are potter. He's not liable. Why? Because here comes into play a very common law, which is that one needs intent, and therefore one did not intend to write the two Zions, one intended to write the Ches, or the word is not really there unless you fold over pages and move one thing to another, all of that is exempt. But if he wrote it in two walls, or two pages of a tablet, and they are read together, then Chayav is culpable. Because the bottom line is, is it read together? Twelve, what if a person took a parchment or, or something similar because of all of Esachas Medina Zoo, and he was, let's say, in Los Angeles, okay? City of Angels. He was in Los Angeles, and he wrote one letter. And that day, he walked out of Los Angeles, and he walked into, I don't know, city of Burbank. 
And he writes another letter in Burbank, in, on a different tablet, on a different scroll, he's liable. Of course, when one puts one scroll that he wrote next to the other, even though he wrote it in different cities, on different scrolls, they are read one another. And all that has to be done is to put one scroll near the other. A case of Ace Achas, you'd give him a 13 if somebody writes one letter. Even though you read a whole word, you look at this letter, it's a symbol for a word. Potter is exempt. Ketzat, for example. In the right context, when you write mem, it stands for maser, tithing. Everybody knows in that context that mem stands for tithing, maser. So all he writes is mem. He's exempt because all he wrote was one letter, one letter, even though it's a symbol. Eishik minion, or he wanted to write the number 40. How do you write the number 40 in Hebrew? Mem. Mem has the numerical value of 40. One letter, and he's writing 40. It's the exact same thing as if he wrote 40. He's still exempt. Why? He wrote only one letter. If somebody takes one letter and makes it into two, or like we said earlier, he took, he took away the roof of the ches, and now he has two Zion, and he meant to do that. He meant to erase the roof of the ches, so he can have two Zions. Chayab, now he's culpable, now he's liable, because it was intended to do, intention is important in Shabbos. So also anything similar. If somebody writes with his left hand, he's right-handed, but he writes with his left hand. Normal right-handed people write terribly with their left hand. Or with the back of his hand, with his foot, with his mouth, with his elbow. He puts the pen in his elbow and writes with his elbow. You should try that at home, not on Shabbos. Potter is exempt. Eat, of course, that's not a normal way of writing. Eater, shakosa bimine. There were people who, when they were forced, when they were in exile, let's say in Russia, in Siberia, in different places, where they were forced to sign in on Shabbat by the uh, secret police, the, the, the NKBD, they would come on Shabbat and many of them would sign in with their left hand, which was not a biblical violation. It's only uh, rabbinically forbidden. Or, or another way of doing that. People would bandage their right hand and, uh, and, and so on. Now, that's all good if the person's right-handed. But a left-handed person who writes with his right hand which is like anybody's left hand, Potter is exempt. But if he writes with his left hand, which is like everybody's right hand, Chayav, he's culpable, he's, he's, he's liable. Now, what if somebody's ambidextrous? What if somebody can write with both hands, Bishova, equally, which means his writing is not better with one hand or the other? Because of, and he writes, whether with his right hand or his left hand, Chayav, he is liable. Cotton eches bekumis, vegodal eches beyode bekesev. 
What if a child holds a pen and an adult holds his hand and moves it, causing it to write? Chayav is culpable. The adult is liable. What if an adult holds the pen? And the child holds his hand and writes? Potter is not liable. It depends what the adult does. He brings down here in the note, which I also reproduced here. And this is uh, note 63 in the Mosnayim Rambam, and I reproduced it here. And that is, in the Torah writing, if you take a resh and you add a little piece, it becomes a dalad. In the right-hand top corner. If you take off a little piece, it becomes a resh. So, if somebody erases the projection on the right corner of a dalad to create a resh, that's another example of erasing to cause a letter. Now he says, in 15, A person is not liable for writing on Shabbos until he writes with something that has permanence. Kigain, for example, and he has a list here. Ink, black tint, vermilion, gum vitriol, and the like. And this list was talked about extensively in the laws of Tefillin, when we talked about inks and how to make ink and so on. And he should write on something, on a surface, where the writing will be preserved. You can't do invisible writing. Kigain, for example, and he has a list. Skin, parchment, paper, wood, or the like. But if somebody writes with something that the substance does not leave a permanent mark. Kigain mashkin, like liquids, who may pay us, or fruit juices. Eshikosah b'diyeh, writes with an ink, on the leaves of vegetables, anything that has no permanence. Potter, he's exempt. Bottom line is, is one has to write with an ink that has permanence on a substance which will hold the permanence. So also, one erases is not liable if he, until he erases something that was written with permanent ink on a permanent surface. Tezayin 16. What if somebody writes on his skin, on his own skin? Chayav is culpable because it's considered skin. Even though, if truth be told, the heat of the skin, of the flesh, will remove the writing sooner or later. You can erase writing too. It's flesh, and it's considered writing. But if somebody engraves the form of letters onto his skin, that will disappear very quickly. Potter, he's exempt and has no longevity whatsoever. If somebody cuts out the form of letters on a hide, he's liable. But if somebody makes a mark in the shape of letters on a hide, he's not liable. Just a cut is liable. He says it appears that this refers to a mark that's made with a stylus or the like that will not remain permanently on the hide. Whereas if it will, he's liable. A person who traces over letters that were written with vermilion and now with ink, he's liable for two transgressions. 
One for writing and one for erasing. Achas mishum kaisav, one for writing. Achas mishum mechik and one for erasing. Hebid yei, algabid yei. On the other hand, a person who traces with ink over letters that were written with ink, the sikra agab sikra or vermilion over letters that were written with vermilion, a sikra agab or vermilion over letters that were written with ink, which is weaker than the ink, potter, all of the above scenarios are exempt, and that is, of course, logical. 17. Reshem. Making designs, teledes kesevu, it's a derivative of the forbidden labor of writing. Ketzad, what are we talking about? If a person makes designs and creates forms on the wall, like designers do, like artists do, and he uses, as he said, colors, red, or other colors. So designing is writing. So also, if somebody erases a design for the sake of correcting it, it has to be for the sake of correcting it. It's a derivative of erasing. Somebody makes lines on a tablet on paper, on parchment, in order to write two letters or more, on that indentation. That's what we do when we make, when we write a Torah, we write film, we write mezuzah, we make indentation with a stylus or something, lines, to keep the writing straight. Chayab is culpable. Carpenters who draw a red line on a beam in order to able, enable them to saw evenly. I mean, every carpenter with his salt has a pencil or a red pen, he makes lines. That's part of this ruling a line which is forbidden. So also, stonemasons will make lines on a stone, so they'll cut the stone evenly. It makes no difference whether somebody does that with a color or without a color. By the way, this is the labor number 36. And that is ruling lines. That's one of the 39 labors. And that's the definition that we just gave here in Halacha 17. End of chapter 11.